All right. Well, let's uh, jump into our last week through our core values. Uh, we've gone through the four so far, and, and the last one that we're looking at today is uh, mission. And as you know, uh, if you've been here the previous weeks, every week we've taken a little bit of time on the front end to cover the framework of our church. And Carrie, I would ask that you not show that yet, because we're going to do a little quiz, and we're going to fill this out together. Um, Hopefully, as we've gone over this for three weeks, uh, you guys already know everything that's in there, so you can just call it out, and we'll go through this together. So we first talked about, when we're looking at the framework of our church, we're answering those uh, five W's and how. The who, the what, the where, the why, the when, and the how, right? So when we talk about the mountain church and we're talking about who, how do we describe ourselves? Okay, guys, come on. Right? A little bit more involvement would be great too so that we really, this really should be, have been sunken in over three weeks. So let's just call out and be loud. We are a gospel-centered family, Right? So where are we? In our communities. Wow, Will, nice. Everywhere we are. Okay, the church is a building, right? No. Okay, the church is a people. So we are wherever we are, right? And, and on our handout, we have a little box there. If you are the kind of learner that learns by writing it out, uh, do so. That's why we include it there. Now we get to the what, our mission statement. What do we exist to do? Wrong, Marissa. <laughs> right? Okay, plant churches, make disciples, proclaim the gospel. Okay? We'll have a test on the end of this too, and we'll get grades. When we look at our why, we're looking at our core values, and we've gone over these, so hopefully these should be the ones that we know the best. First one. Okay, pretty soon I'm going to ha- ask Will to not say things, right? This, room, this side over here is really like quiet for some reason. First one is? Holy Scriptures. Second one? The Gospel. Then we talked about last week? Community. And now we're talking about? Mission. Now our strategy is really complex. It's a 14-step thing, right? No. It's two things. First? Sunday gathering. Gospel communities. Eli, how's it going, man? You with me? Okay. Lastly, we'll look at measurables. And every week we've gone over these at the very end. There's some teaching term language here that we've utilized that I think is helpful. We've asked, looked to ask, answer two questions. Number one, what is it? Think about an eyeball. Look like. Look like. And secondly, think about an ear. Sound. Sound. What does it sound like? Again, this side of the room. Uh, wow. You guys are doing great over here. I appreciate that. What does it look like and sound like? Okay? So when someone's asked you, we're trying to go over this every week to get unified behind language and so that we're all on the same page of, in describing ourselves. And I think this has been helpful because in, in talking with you guys and hearing stories of block parties and people ask, so tell me about the Mountain Church. I've been hearing some great answers on people saying, you know, we're a gospel-centered family, we're a gospel-centered church, uh, what denomination are you? You know, we're gospel-centered. I, I love that, okay? So I, I think this is helping. But today we're looking at mission. And like we've talked about uh, with the scriptures and the gospel, as the gospel is kind of the overflow, the outpouring of the scriptures, when we're talking about mission, we're looking at that outward piece, the outflow of our community. Uh, 
Yes, we have an, an inward aspect of our church, loving one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, praying one another, but we can't primarily have an inward focus. We can't simply have an, an inward orientation. We must be looking outward and pushing each other to look outward. So when we're talking about mission, that's what we're talking about. Okay, we're not talking about overseas, foreign work where you're being sent off. We're talking about the responsibility that we all have, the responsibility that we have as a church to look outside of ourselves at those who do not yet know Jesus. You guys with me? Yeah. Cool. Um, with that being said, uh, we're going to look at the goal of our church, the mission of our church, the mission of Jesus primarily before we jump into some principles. But I want you to think about beforehand, if you can, think about what would you say is the goal of your life? Now, if you're a Christian or you grew up in church, I know there's an answer that might come to mind right now, the, the Sunday school, the Christian answer, but let's be really honest. Let's look at the functional purpose, functional mission, functional uh, reason why we are living and working and playing. What is it? To be happy, right? If we're going to be really honest, let's take a look at our schedule. Let's take a look at our bank account. Let's take a look at what we spend our time on. What is at the functional center of your life? When you think about your life in the next 5, 10, 20 years, what do you want to be doing? What do you want people to describe your life as? What shapes the mission and purpose from your life? Where do your values originate from? Okay, if you're a parent and you have children, what do you want your kids to say if they were to ask, what's the purpose of your life? Now the Bible, our Holy Scriptures, paints a really real picture of the human heart paints a real picture of, it, of the human heart in its natural defar, default, <laughs> default mode. Stephanie, come on. <laughs> a little Freudian slip there. The default mode of our heart is set on ourself, right? And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to be pulled out of this, don't we? The default mode of our heart is set on ourselves, and, and this is why often, now and, and definitely before Jesus saved me, Everything in my life was planned about me, okay? My plan was going to go to UW, become a doctor, possibly a brain surgeon. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to marry a Brazilian model. I wanted to sell, sail off in a yacht and live the good life. That was my vision of life. And ultimately, it was about myself. Everything, my schooling, my hobbies, my plans was all built around myself, making myself happy, making myself comfortable, making myself successful. I was going to try to find a woman to help me accomplish that. It was really, uh, really self-centered. I learned these values from society, from media, from school. And, and I would argue that I'm, I don't think I'm the exception in this, at least in some of your life, right? Uh, some of you, I know you well. I don't think this is the exception. And until we, our hearts are transformed and we continually seek to move out of this in a life of repentance, our hearts are going to be set on ourselves, right? It takes miraculous work, and we will use people and things and gods for our end of glorifying ourselves. Our goal will ultimately be to uh, love ourselves above all things. Okay, but if you're here and you're a Christian and you believe in the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, hopefully you know that now your mission in your life looks totally different. You have been transformed from the inside out to die to yourself 
and now to live for God and live from others. Your heart has been changed by God's grace from being a lover of self to a lover of God and others. And God does this. God does this as the word of God is preached, as the gospel is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart. God gives you the gift of faith and repentance. And now you went from a heart of stone who didn't like God, you rebelled against God, to now loving him. Hopefully that is what many of us in this room, that has happened to us. Our hearts have been transformed by God's grace through the work of the gospel, and people are enabled. We are now enabled to do what God commands us. The greatest commandment, love God above all things and love others as ourselves. And this is why we are made. And this is why in my life I found that the closer I've grown with God, the more I've tapped into my purpose, the happier, the, the more joyful, the, the more like a full life that I have. Right? Think about this with me. Are the happiest people you know in your life, the most rooted people, are they the most selfish? I can't think of people in my life that I know that are super selfish and really happy. <laughs> they usually don't have very good friends, right? Because who loves to have a friend who's really selfish? Maybe other selfish people. Who wants to have a friend who's always thinking about himself or herself? They're not generous. They're not loving. They're not kind. And the problem with sin is that we, we are deceived into thinking that we can find joy and happiness and purpose in life outside of God. We think we can be perfectly content doing that. We can't even think about finding happiness in God. But as God comes to us and he calls us and he draws us, he transforms our heart. He gives us a new mission, a new purpose. And this is what we're talking about this morning. Loving God above all things and loving others as ourselves. We want to love God above all things with our hearts, our affections, our body, our strength, our spirit, our minds. We want to have right thinking about God. We want to have right feeling about God. We want to have right practices about God. Amen? So what is our mission? I thought it was helpful, and I thought we could go there to look at kind of a, a, an overview of the scriptures of what describes Jesus' mission, because the Bible says, that Jesus himself says that you guys are going to do things that I do. In fact, this is what he says in John 14, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So when we look at Jesus in the Gospels and we see him doing the things that he does, his mission, his purpose, as we become followers of him, it'll be aligned with his. Make sense? Right? This is what Jesus says. Mark 138. These are the things that we see Jesus doing. Some of his mission statements throughout the Gospels. Mark 138. He said to them, let us go to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that is why I came out. So one of Jesus' missions is to preach the good news of the kingdom. Preach the gospel. Mark 10, 45. Jesus says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So his focus is on others, right? Jesus doesn't say the son of man came that others might bow down and serve him and he just kind of the whipping, whatever it is. Jesus had all right to do that, but he didn't. He came to serve. And as we follow in his footsteps, we will serve and give our lives for many. Luke 19, 10, probably one of my favorite ones. Jesus says, for the son of man, this is a reference to Jesus and how he identifies himself, came to seek and save the lost. This is a very clear purpose that Jesus has. Uh, Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter 2, 9, another mission statement, for you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? These are some, some mission statements. And, and one of the most explicit commands, one of the ones that we've used most frequently in the short life of our church, is what has historically been called the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to Matthew 28. This Great Commission, uh, that's what it says, a little title in the head, heading of my Bible, is found in, in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, at this point in the Gospel, Jesus had had lived, he had taught his disciples, he'd walked with them, he'd had his ministry, he went to the cross, he died, he rose again, and this is kind of the final thing that he leaves with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. It says in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus told them beforehand, hey, okay guys, meet me at this mountain. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the Father has given him all authority, all power has been given to Jesus. So this is the, the authority to which he commands his disciples, all authority. He's talking about the, the source, the weight that this command has. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. The word there in the Greek is ethne. It means all people groups. In other words, go make disciples of everyone, everywhere. Uh, about this verse, a guy named Kevin DeYoung says it like this. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Gathering these disciples into churches that they may worship and obey Jesus now and into eternity to the glory of God the Father. He says, if that is the mission of the church, what would you expect to see in the book of Acts? We see precisely these things happening. Throughout the book of Acts, the emphasis is on the word going forth. The book ends, and Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He says this in closing, it's not the church's responsibility to right every wrong or to meet every need, though by God's grace we will do some of both. It is, however, our responsibility alone to proclaim the gospel. And one of the clearest examples of this progression in the book of Acts is found in, in Acts 14, when Paul, Paul and Barnabas come to a city named Derbe. And it says there in, in Acts 14, 21, when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay, that's, that's the progression that we see. Proclaiming the gospel, making disciples. Disciples are made as the gospel is proclaimed, and disciples are growing as they obey Jesus' commands throughout all of their life. Make sense? You guys still with me? I appreciate the head nods. Uh, a guy named Ben Arman in his book, Church in the Making, says it like this, though. Notice the Great Commission is to make disciples, not converts. Only disciples can reproduce themselves. Jesus had so much faith in the principle of repro reproductibility that he entrusted the salvation of the entire world to 11. I haven't thought about that before this week. Jesus entrusted the, the salvation of the entire world to 11 guys. That's how much he believed in making disciples and in the multiplication that happens in discipleship. Isn't that awesome? 
from this passage, we see it's not enough just to make converts because Jesus doesn't end there. He says, yes, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is the Trinitarian formula. And you see there the name, meaning that a singular God, the unity of the Trinity. In the, with the Father, we have a new Father. We have a new identity with Jesus as our new Master and Lord and with the Spirit as our the bold power to make us uh, missionaries, our guide and helper. Making disciples requires more than just bringing someone to faith in Jesus Christ. It requires teaching them all that he has commanded throughout all of life. How many of you guys have, have ever heard or maybe even used the argument? Well, uh, some people say the Great Commission is for all people, but uh, Jesus really just gave it to the 12 or to the 11. Uh, so that's not really like my responsibility or calling. Anyone ever heard that? Peter, I know you were joking about that earlier. This thing is slowly starting to fade on me. Anyone ever used that or thought that? No? So we pretty much all have an understanding that this is a job that we've all been given to make disciples, right? I'm glad to hear that. I think what this means is a part of obeying all of Jesus' command, we're looking at it this way, is Jesus commanded to make disciples. So if if someone like brought you to faith and salvation, they also should have taught you that it doesn't end with you, right? that you have a responsibility to pass it on, to make disciples of all nations. And I think if we are neglecting to make disciples, we are neglecting an important command of Jesus, and we are disobedient to his commands. And if we're not obeying Jesus' commands, it means we're missing out on the joy and life that he's offering us because God always gives us his commands for our good and for our joy right? So this command to make disciples is for our joy. And, and I would just say to you, if, if you're at a place here this morning and you're feeling a little stagnant in your faith, you're feeling like God is really distant, take a good look at your efforts in making disciples. Because what I found is that when this is lacking, God feels so distant. Neglecting to engage in his mission uh, can make us feel stagnant in our faith. Making disciples is not a job just for the spiritual elites. It's not just a job for overseas missionaries or the pastors and elders, the church planters. Every disciple has been charged with making disciples. We all have a responsibility to pass it on. And, and uh, I've used this illustration before. We've talked about this before in the life of our church. But as Christians, we're not called to be cul-de-sacs, right? When you think about a cul-de-sac versus a causeway or a highway, what are the differences? Okay, the cul-de-sac is a dead end. It might be a great place to live, right? You don't get a lot of traffic, but you don't want to be a, a cul-de-sac Christian. Because when God blesses us, when he teaches us, when he gives us things, it's never meant to just end in ourselves. It's meant to go through us. It's meant to be a causeway. We see this theme traced all the way through the scriptures at the very beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 12. God comes to a man named Abram, the father of the faith, he becomes Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I will make you a blessing to the nations. Notice what he does there. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Okay, when he says to the, the, uh, the Israelites in Exodus 12, he says, you're going to be my possession, you're going to be my treasured possession, so that you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You have a responsibility to the nations, to those outside of you. So in other words, God's people have always been given a task to look outside of themselves, to be outward focused. To, to, they were blessed to be a blessing. And just as Jesus has pursued us, we are to pursue others. Just as Jesus has served us, we are to serve others. Just as the gospel is proclaimed to us, we are to proclaim the gospel to others. Just as someone discipled us, we are to disciple 
others. Always goes through us. And one of the things that has become more and more evident as we've planted the church in the last two to three years is that sadly, this is not uh, what many of us in this room have had happen in our life. I think many of us have even grown up in church and we've been taught good teaching. We've heard the gospel, we've been saved, but we have not been discipled, at least in a one-on-one committed way in a relationship. Unless I'm totally off on this. I think it's true across churches in America that have been focusing on making converts instead of disciples, focusing on growing numerically and not spiritually, focusing on making their names great, their logos and egos, instead of advancing the gospel through the world and committing themselves to making disciples. I think few have been discipled. Few have had someone walk with them, poured into them in a one-on-one or a small group setting where there was intimacy, transparency, commitment, and accountability. And when we're looking at how do we make disciples as a church, We are not going to do so through events, through programs, through classes, through uh, other means. It's going to be through committed relationships, intentional relationships. Uh, There are other churches who have different strategies and programs and ideas and books and classes, and there's parachurch ministries. But at the Mountain Church, we are going to commit ourselves to making disciples through committed relationships, primarily organizing gospel communities. Right? That we know that that aligns with our strategy. And I think this is the best way to make disciples is with great intentionality. It becomes an all-of-life type of thing. It becomes a lifestyle. I don't think making disciples is best done when you compartmentalize it, when it's something that you do twice a week for a couple hours. I think it's best done all of life where life is transparent and seen and there's committed relationships around you. And as we've sought to do this as a church over the last couple of years, I think it's been sweet. It's been challenging. It's been new. It's been awkward. We're growing in this, but I don't know... From my perspective and understanding, I don't think there's a better way to make disciples. Amen? So if we value mission, what does this mean? Okay, looking at the foundation of our mission to make disciples as a church, right? let's look at some principles. If we value mission, what does it mean? And from, from principles, we'll look into what does it look like, sound like. Okay, so this is that second question in your outline if you have it there. What if we value mission, what does it mean? What will it mean? It means that we are powered by God's love to share the gospel at all times with everyone everywhere. It's the big principle. It means if we value mission, we will be sacrificial in our time, talent, and treasures, our our money, and our skills in the advancement of making disciples and proclaiming the gospel. It means that we will love and cherish our role. We'll be humble in this great responsibility that God has given us to be his witness and ambassador. If we value mission, it means that we will encourage, challenge one another to proclaim uh, and share Jesus in word and deed and daily living. We have a responsibility to each other to encourage one another on in this. It means that we will seek to push others in the church to get outside of themselves and pursue others of different faiths, backgrounds, and beliefs. And the best way I think we can accomplish this is by everyone having a role in this. I don't think it'll primarily best happen through Nathan or myself or Will talking about this from the pulpit or talking about this in gospel community. We all have a responsibility to do this and to be encouraging one another in this, right? Regardless of of how uncomfortable that might make us or how awkward it might be at first in relationships that we haven't done this, right? Challenging people, pushing people outside of themselves might be new to us. Okay, if you want help on this, right? 
uh, I mean, I think Will is one of the best at this in my life. He's challenged me and pushed me so much in this, getting out of my people-pleasing tendency. And I know Will doesn't like attention brought on himself and uh, doesn't appreciate that I'm tuning his horn here, but uh, God has gifted him in this way, in prophetic ways to encourage and challenge and speak truth and love. And there's others in here as well uh, that have done that. I think we all have a responsibility to do this, everyone, in one-on-one ways. Right? Looking at things like, uh, right, for example, right, Pam and Aaron just uh, joined, got a new membership to a pool. That's a, someone coming and asking Pam and Aaron, hey, what kind of opportunities is this creating for you guys? Like, how are you seeking to use this to make disciples? Okay, because it's easy in, in one hand for you to hear principles like this or for me to ask a question like this on a general sense, and you get convicted for a little bit, but then honestly you can walk away. Right? We're not having this one-on-one, you have to look me in the eyes and tell me, right? At least I found this in my own life. It's way different to hear it on a Sunday than for someone sitting across from you asking it to your face, right? Yeah. Just me? Okay, I think we have a responsibility to do this, though. Right, Carrie, I've, I've been noticing on Facebook, man, you're going on a lot of hikes. Right, what kind of opportunities is this creating for you? Right, Carrie doesn't have to respond now. Okay, but you ask him one-on-one, I think, what's his answer going to be? Right? Marilyn, I saw you just went on a vacation. What kind of opportunities did God present you to disciple your family? Or maybe God presented you an opportunity to disciple those that you met in restaurants or on the beach or in the shop. Okay? You guys, can we make an agreement to seek to try to do this and grow in this way, to step out of ourselves and our comfort zones and do this? Yes? yes? With me? Cool. If we value mission, it means that we will make Jesus the center of our church, the center of our gatherings. Okay, we're not going to uh, push a political party. We're not going to push a, a, a certain uh, agenda, not secondary issues, not a, a code of rules. We're going to hold out Jesus. If we want people to be meeting Jesus, we're going to hold out him as ultimate satisfaction. If we value mission, it means that we will seek to be in our city. If you're in Des Moines, you will love Des Moines. Even if you like Seattle better, Seattle's a little more sexy, or, or West Seattle for sure. There's more to do. There's a better nightlife. There's better restaurants. God has placed you in Des Moines. Therefore, you love Des Moines. God has placed you in Kent. You love Kent. God has placed you in Burien. You love Burien. God has placed you in SeaTac. You love SeaTac. If we value mission, it means that we will want to bring social justice and build community wherever we are. If we value mission, it means that we will value engagement and involvement, uh, not only in our city and our neighborhoods, but in art, in business, and in academics. It means that we will shop and play locally. If we value mission, we will be intentional about scheduling and orienting our life around reaching people. I think another caveat on this is with our gospel community. It means that those in our life and in our gospel community that do not share our same beliefs, do not share our same faith, will feel welcomed and know ultimately what we are about. It's not a, it's not a, a secret agenda that we have. Right? We love Jesus. We want you to meet Jesus. Jesus has transformed our life for the best. We have this new hope and joy and satisfaction and comfort. We want you to have the same thing. Right? Like if we really love Jesus and he's loved us and we really love you, we want to share this with you because this is awesome. There's nothing like Jesus. Therefore, we want you to meet him. Amen? It means that uh, if we value mission, it doesn't mean that we are just inv- inviting people. 
but we are pursuing them and intentional with the gospel. If we value mission, it means that we will be purposeful in everything that we do. What if we live with this in mind? What if the call to make disciples was functional in every part of our life? We woke up with the purpose of making disciples. I'm going to pour into my scripture so that God can pour into me. I'm going to learn. I'm going to seek to obey all of Jesus' commandments, and then I'm going to seek to disciple those that are around me. Whether I'm married and I have a husband or wife, whether I'm a parent, I'm a father, a mother, and I have kids, whether I'm, I'm working in a workplace and I'm going to seek to disciple those around me by working hard, by talking about what I did on Sunday, I gathered with my church, I worshiped Jesus with them. It means you're going to be talking about that with your neighbors. This is an all-of-life type of thing. We want, to be poured in, we want others to pour into us so that we can pour into others. As we've sought to plant the church and, and seek to have this, this all-of-life type of mission, uh, seek to live in this way, it's challenging. It's not easy. Right? How, if you've been uh, around for a year or so and you've been seeking to do this with us, right, like raise your hand if you feel like, I've got this nailed, everyone can watch me as the model disciple, all of life mission. It's like, I don't even think about it. It's just like unconscious in the way that I live. Anyone? I want to get there, right? But we're all growing in this way. And one of the things that I think it's so hard to do this and have it be an all of life thing is it takes radical heart change, number one, but a continual all of life repentance, right? We want to seek to grow out of our self-centeredness because our natural default mode, the flesh wants to call us back to ourself, Think about yourself. Plan things about yourself. Don't think about the mission of God and, and involving others. We are so prone to fall back into our former ways of life, making much of us. What are my plans and my dreams and, and what's my purpose? And again, you, you, you're wondering, right? Like if you're thinking, okay, I see in the scriptures, this, is my, this should be my mission, what ought to be. What is the reality? Can we be honest about our, our lives right now and, and think about that for a moment? Or just think about what you did last week. Think about if open your calendar and look at the things that you did. Look at your bank account. What's the functional mission of your life? Because if you're like me, we can so often fall back into having a nice, comfortable home, having a nice family, living, we want a nice house and a nice neighborhood to have a nice life. We're prone not to be shaped by our scriptures, but to be shaped by our families or our traditions, our society, our media. We want to go to a nice school so we can have a nice job, so we can have nice, fun hobbies. We will subtly teach ourselves and our children that ultimately your life is about pursuing your happiness, your dreams, your comfort, your status, your family, your career, your entertainment. And I think until as a church we can grow out of this uh, unconscious or conscience incompetence, and it becomes an unconscious thing, like it's just a lifestyle that we've done, we have to fight to get there. We have to fight to get out of our self-centeredness, to get over ourselves with the gospel and to give ourselves to God and seeking to make much of him with our life and those around us. With me? Until then, I think a healthy practice is to run everything through this filter. And, and maybe not everything to start, because that might be overwhelming. We've got to start somewhere, right, Will? So you're thinking, I, I want to buy a new car. Why? 
run that, run that decision through the filter of making disciples? What's the, what are the positives and negatives? What's the financial burden that it'll have? What's the, the positives of making disciples or the drawback? What about getting a new job? What about getting married? What, about, what if we are teaching our children that instead of getting married so that you could be happy and have this uh, person who really exists kind of to serve you and to love you, what if we taught our children that you got married to have your partner in making disciples? You complement one another and pour into others as a team. Wouldn't that be awesome? We wouldn't have to struggle and learn through like we are right now. What does this look like in going on a vacation? How do we make this decision and filter that through mission? Will taking this vacation give me intentional set-apart time for my family to be discipling them? We're going to read more scripture together. We're going to have intentional times of teaching as a family because we have, we're not working. What if we're going to take a vacation, we're going to use vacation time to go on mission together? Wouldn't that be cool? Like we stay home, we take a whole week off so that we can be missional wherever we are. That'd be sweet. I just thought of that. Just came to me. So, wow, there you go. I think we must seek to examine the motives, the purpose of these decisions, so that everywhere we are, we are living, working, playing, learning to be a witness and a missionary to the gospel by the Spirit. I think as, as one of your leaders, I've seen us take great strides in this area, great strides in, in discipling one another, but I don't think that we can get complacent or comfortable in, well, we're doing a good job now. We've come a long way. In two years, I wasn't even thinking about this. I wasn't even thinking about making disciples. I mean, wasn't that just the pastor's job? Isn't that just like Will and Nathan's job to disciple me? I think we've taken great strides in this, but I don't think that we should get comfortable or, or complacent in this. We need to seek to not settle and get comfortable. We want to push to be intentional and purposeful. Okay? I want to encourage you. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going forward. Do we have the humility and the desire to learn from others or to give, us, to give free reign to each other to question us in this? Can we just be upon agreement if we are a member or a part of this church that we're not going to get offended when someone asks you, what have you been doing? We'll have the humility to say, man, I really focus a lot on myself this week. I need you to pray for me. Can you text me every day, actually? I would appreciate that. Do we have that kind of humility and desire to learn? I hope so. I hope that our hearts are not getting hardened. Can we be honest with ourselves and examine if you are a Christian, does your mission line up with God's? Is it really, is it simply just theoretical or theological or is it functional? Okay, can we be in agreement upon that? I need it, right? I need people to hold me accountable. I want people to ask me, hey, Daniel, you said you wanted to go to the gym twice a week to meet people. How's that been going? Man, for two weeks I failed at that. Right? So let's get practical. If we value mission, what will it look like and sound like? This has become like my favorite part of the sermon. Thank you, uh, those of you who are teachers and who are helping me get practical. I appreciate that. I, I didn't realize before this, this uh, four-week series how I like to stay so much on the principal level, but I, I hope it's been helpful to get really practical. It's been helpful to me at least. So, Okay, what will it look like? Number one. Waking up every morning, asking the Spirit to show you, who am I going to intentionally disciple? Who am I going to see today? 
wife, children, coworkers, family member, if I'm seeing a fellow brother or sister, how will I encourage them, help them develop towards maturity? If I'm seeing those who do not share the faith, how will my interactions, my work ethic, my demeanor, my words help them, point them to Jesus? Every day, waking up with this purpose. I think a real practical way we can do this is once a week, share a meal with someone who has a different faith than you. Once a week. Okay, we have 21 meals throughout a week. Can we take one of those and use it to share it with someone outside of a faith? Can we, can we be agreement on that? What is that, like uh, 5% of our, t- of our meals? Is that what it is? One out of 21? My math is right. I'm a pastor, so. <laughs> what this looks like in my life is I like to go to Homefront once a week. I like to support local businesses. I love Nisai. I want him to meet Jesus. Every interaction with him, I want to be trying to bring that up. Loving him. Tipping well. I want to be the best tipper he has. I want him to ask me, why do, you, why do you care about me so much? Why are you so generous? Man, I'm just begging for that question to be asked to me. I think this looks like texting others in your gospel community often. I would, I would encourage you once a day for prayer and accountability. I know I need this. I'm prone to neglect, to let myself, uh, myself balloon up. My life is consumed with myself. I think about myself. This looks like eating at a restaurant in the city that you live at. Like pick, what, pick one restaurant and make it yours. Get to know that server's name, his wife's name, his kids' names, what he likes to do, what his beliefs are, if he has any background or experience in church. Practically what this looks like is going to Arturo's. Okay, and I, I just want to confess with you guys, I have not done this well. Even last week, I really love other Mexican restaurants outside of Des Moines. Des Moines doesn't really have a lot of good options. Uh, I, I hate to say that, but it's just so true. And, and maybe you like Arturo's and God bless you. Uh, this looks like going to Arturo's. This looks like seeking to be in your city versus seeking to eat at a restaurant that you like uh, that's somewhere else. Amen? Okay. Not getting as many head nods on that one. <laughs> right? Because maybe we can start a restaurant. Right, Stephanie? You're, uh, what's it called? Whatever she said. <laughs> the German ravioli, you could call it. Oh, yeah. This looks like throwing neighborhood block parties. I'm committed to being a neighbor who wants to see community built. You want to bless others. You want to have the best candy at Halloween. You want people to ask you, why do you do this? Let that be our heart and beg God for people to ask us that question. This looks like frequently bringing neighbors gifts, treats, cookies to bless them. Ultimately, so that we can talk to them about Jesus. What does it sound like? Again, these are not exhaustive lists. These are just uh, things that, that uh, I think are examples. What does it look like? It sounds, or excuse me, now what does it sound like? It sounds like conversations in church gatherings around how you've been seeking to accomplish this mission, asking them, how was your week? What opportunities did God give you? How is the Spirit leading you? Questions, it sounds like questions that you've been How have you been seeking to engage others with the gospel? How have you been getting outside of yourself to bless others? And as we've been doing this and we've had people come and go in the life of our church, I've seen that for some, this can be really disorienting. This can be really frustrating. This can cause a lot of anger because for some who might be still in this kind of unconscious incompetence, this 
uh, disciple making is for everyone else and it's not my job. It's not my job to seek to have it be an all of life thing. It can become frustrating because for especially who have been in the church or believe in the message of Christianity, it can reveal that all they, they might have the right answers, it's not funneling through in the way that they live. Okay? I've seen this happen firsthand. We must be humble and gracious with one another. We must never have a teachable spirit and be willing to admit that our lifestyle, our habits, our daily rhythms aren't in line with God's. I think it sounds like uh, valuing mission will cause our conversation to sound like joyful reports and praise of what God has done in our life and how the Spirit is moving in our conversations and our interactions. I've loved hearing how the block parties have gone as we've done that this summer. The conversations that we've had, it's brought great joy and encouragement to hear how it's been. I love that. If we value mission, it'll sound more like hearing Jesus and the gospel and his word often in our conversations because we're seeking to do that and bring that up often. Amen? Okay, if, you have, if you have any questions about this or what this would look like, I, I brought a book that I think is one of the best uh, in, in helping us think this way. It's a book called Saturate by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. Many of you I know in the church have read this book. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. How do you make disciples in all of life? It, it Transitioning you from event program-driven, compartmentalized to all of life. I really would recommend reading this book. Uh, and going through it with, like reading it once by yourself, going through it again with someone else, going through it again with someone else, the more you go through it, the more it really becomes real in your life, right? Let's pray.